Welcome to New Creation, a home for the creative community of Los Angeles. For more information, visit our website at newcreationla.com. And now, the sermon. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. 1 Timothy 4, 11 through 16. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. How do you get people to listen to you? How do you get them to take you seriously? As a parent, as a spouse, as a son or daughter, as a brother or sister, as a friend, we want to be heard. In our callings, we want to be taken serious. And that's true whether you're an artist or a politician, if you're in hospitality or civil service. We want to be heard. We want to be respected. And we even want people to do what we ask. But what are the obstacles to that? Sometimes people don't respect us. Sometimes people look down on us for various reasons. Sometimes people don't think we're qualified or experienced. Sometimes people think we are undeserving. And so how do we get people to do what we want them to do? How do we get them to, to listen to us, to take us seriously? Well, what does the world have to say to this question? I think that what the world says is this, you demand it, right? Throw your weight around, coerce obedience, threaten. When your leadership is questioned, when it's threatened, when it's resisted, assert it even stronger. That's the way of the world, right? But what do the scriptures say to this question? Well, it's something very different. We've been going through the book of 1 Timothy, uh, and that book is Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus and to his co-worker, Timothy. And so as we've talked about, this letter was written in the mid-60s of the first century AD. And so the resurrection and ascension of Jesus has been about 30 years um, since uh, this letter, uh, 30 years prior. And the apostle is now writing this letter to his younger coworker and to the church where he is serving to help establish the church, to help create some structure and some order to this, this new uh, thing, this new organism, right? And so that is uh, 
the reason for this letter. Now, to give us a little bit of context, in Ephesus, there are basically uh, two classes of men that's divided right down uh, the age line, okay? So if you are 40 or under, you are part of the Neoi group, okay? And if you are over 40, you are part of the Garontes. Now, this is very different than anything we have in our own culture. This isn't like AARP and I get a little card and some discounts. This is a hard division, right? And so each of these groups has their own funds. They have their own officers. They have their own events. And they even have their own workout places. The young guy gym and the old guy gym, right? So that is kind of the, the age divide in Ephesus. So imagine this guy, Timothy, leader of the church. He's in his mid-30s, and he comes in because he's appointed, right? So the church didn't hire him. They didn't set up a bunch of interviews. They didn't vote on him being their pastor. The apostle Paul assigns him to this place. So if you're Timothy, what might that feel like? Imagine that, wow. I'm a younger guy, you know, with this age divide. Are people gonna respect me? Are they gonna listen to me? Are they gonna do what, what, what I say? It's a question, right? And that, would, that feeling would be very real. And then think about it for the church. What do they feel like with this guy coming in? Who is he, right? This young punk, young punk in his mid-30s, but, right? Who, who is this guy, right? Why, why should I listen to him? We didn't vote him in. We didn't hire this guy. Why should I listen to him? Well, our inclination today may be to think about this only as it relates to Timothy and his audience. However, God's word gives us uh, an opportunity to apply this by answering these same kinds of questions in our own calling. So let's dig in. I want to first go to, uh, back to verses 11 and 12 here. And let's look at this sort of approach to godly leadership. So Paul says to Timothy, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So here's the essence of it. If you want to make sure, Timothy, that people don't look down on you, then make them look up to you. How do you do that? Well, Paul says you lead by godly example. You lead by reflecting what Jesus Christ is like. And so you, you lead reflecting what he is like in these five different areas, in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. 
What does it look like to reflect Jesus in speech? What is, what is the words of Jesus like? What are they like? Well, as we go through the Gospels, we see that Jesus approaches everyone with dignity, with respect, with grace and truth. And even the outsider, the outcast, think of the woman at the well. He goes to her and asks, can I have a drink of water? Gives her dignity. Think about his approach to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, I want to have dinner at your place tonight. Right? Such grace, such dignity. Jesus, and the way that he speaks, he doesn't have to justify himself. Right? Think about Jesus before Pilate. All of these false accusations coming, and he doesn't have to justify himself. Jesus speaks with comfort and with hope. He tells us in the face of hopelessness that all things are possible with God. That Jesus weeps with those who weep. In Matthew 11, Jesus tells us about his heart, that it's gentle and lowly, right? So he's, he's gentle in his speech, and lowly means that he's approachable. The God of the universe is approachable. And so you can come and talk to him about anything. So a godly leader is to re, uh, reflect that kind of speech, the speech of Jesus. And he's also to re reflect the conduct of Jesus. So what's the conduct of Jesus like? Well, we know this, that Jesus is a servant. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to what? To serve and what? Come on, you know it. Yes, and give his life as a ransom for many, right? He's a servant. Jesus, when the wedding has no wine, serves the guest, changes the water into wine, right? Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. And Jesus carries the cross, bearing the weight of our sins as he lays down his life. And so a godly leader reflects the conduct of Jesus. And a godly leader shows the love of Jesus. As we look at Jesus, we see that love is his ultimate motivation. It is what drives him. Out of love, he obeys God the Father, all of his commands. Out of love for his children, Jesus came to earth to pay the penalty for our sins. The love of Jesus is as vast as the ocean. And so a godly leader is one that reflects the love of Jesus. And a godly leader is one that reflects the faith of Jesus. Jesus has faith to lay down his life and faith that the Father would resurrect him from the grave. Jesus has faith to trust the will of God the Father above his own human will. 
Jesus trusts all of God's promises. And so a godly leader is to reflect the faith and trust of Jesus. And lastly, a godly leader is to reflect the purity of Jesus. And so Jesus is absolutely pure in his every motivation. He is pure in every thought, word, and deed. Jesus is the righteousness and holiness of God. And so a godly leader is to reflect the purity of Jesus. And so here's the thing. The more that godly leaders can reflect the speech, the conduct, the love, the faith, the purity of Jesus, the more people will look up to them and the less they will look down on them. The more there will be a desire to follow such leadership. All right. So should we just close there? So just go do it, everybody, right? Now you, now you know what to do. So I know that this was just a lack of information on all your part, right? Now you've got it, so we know exactly what to do here, right? So just go do it. Can you? Can you do this? There's a problem here. I am not Jesus, and neither are you. I cannot make myself like him. I might be able to manipulate the externals a little bit, but I cannot change my heart. So now what? What to do? Well, thankfully, we have verse 13. Let's go to verse 13. Paul says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. So if you want to be like Jesus, here's what's necessary. You have to encounter Jesus. You have to experience Jesus. And this is the story throughout the Gospels, right? That people experience Jesus. They have encounters with Jesus that transform them. Peter, out fishing, Jesus gives him more fish than he can imagine and then says, come follow me. I will make you a fisher of men. Jesus' friend Lazarus, is raised from the grave. What higher transformation is there than that? The woman who washed the feet of Jesus was transformed by encountering him. And even the apostle Paul is transformed as he encounters the living Christ on the road to Damascus. Encountering Jesus is the story of the Gospels. But guess what? It's not just the story of the Gospels. It's the story of new creation. It's the story of people like Jana, who grew up in a Jewish home, 
but she encountered Jesus and it changed her life. Right? Amen. It's a story of people like Gene. I don't know. I saw Gene earlier. Where are you at, Gene? Right over here. Gene met some Christians going to a movie meetup group that led her to encounter Jesus and has transformed her. Right? It's the story of everyone here. We encounter Jesus, and that is what transforms us. So if you want to be like Jesus, you must encounter him. It's the gospel story, it's our story, and it's the story that we are praying for, for our neighbors, for our friends, for our family, for this community. That's the story that we want, is for people to encounter the living Christ. And then, by faith in, G in Jesus, the Spirit of God, again, transforms our hearts. So belief in the gospel comes with dynamic power, dynamic transforming power. We become new creations. And more and more as we encounter Jesus and put our faith and trust in him, he makes us more like himself. And so we're then given this direction of then, how do we encounter Jesus? How do we encounter him? Well, Paul says, you encountered him, you encounter him as the church is gathered for worship. Last week, Paul talked in the prior verses about how we're to train ourselves spiritually. And one of the ways that we train is we come to the spiritual gym, this place. We gather for worship. And so when we gather for worship, what do we do? We have public reading of Scripture. You hear it all over the place in this service. We hear it in the call to worship. We hear it in the songs. We hear it in our prayers. We hear it in the assurance of our forgiveness. We hear it in the, the sermon text. We hear it in communion at the table. We hear it at the benediction. We publicly read God's word so that people can encounter him. And then we encounter Jesus as that word, his word, is exhorted. And so when we gather for worship, we are exhorted to worship, to sing, to pray, to believe, to give our time, our talents, our treasures. We're exhorted to confess and repent of our sins. We're exhorted to come and eat at the table. We're exhorted to apply God's word to our hearts and our lives. We're exhorted to live it out between Sundays, to share our faith. And we're exhorted to invite others into this community. And so you encounter Jesus when you are exhorted by his word. And then Paul tells us that you encounter Jesus in teaching, through teaching. So we not only publicly read the scriptures and exhort one another by it, but we also encounter Jesus when we teach the scriptures, when we explain the scriptures. And so here at New Creation, we teach the word of God how every page of the Bible points to Jesus. We encounter him when we teach that. 
Isn't it interesting that Paul does not command Timothy to gather the church so that he can give them five steps to a happier life? He doesn't say gather the church so I can give you three steps on how to be successful in business so that I can give you 10 steps on how to get your children to be obedient. He commands Timothy to publicly read God's word, to exhort God's people by it, and to teach it to them so that we will encounter and experience God. So that our lives will be transformed. Amen to that. All right, so next thing he tells us. He gives this encouragement for the leaders of the church. Let's take a look at verse 14. He says, do not neglect the gift you have, speaking to Timothy, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So a lot of times, especially in church leadership, you get this question. Is this person God-appointed or self Appointed, And that's the question right here in the book of 1 Timothy, right? Because we have these false teachers who are not God-appointed. They are self-appointed. And then we have the apostle Paul, God-appointed, God-called. And we have Timothy, God-appointed, God-called. And so Paul encourages Timothy by recognizing his gift. What's the specific gift? Doesn't say it right here, does it? But most likely, it is just his gifting for ministry. This guy is a leader. And so he says, do not neglect your ministry gifting. And then he roots it in the source, where that gifting comes from. The gift was given by what? By prophecy, right? So it's given by prophecy And prophecy is a word from God. And so the gift comes from God. Uh, One of the wonderful things about uh, being a pastor and being a pastor in a denomination is that uh, when a pastor is ordained, sometimes I get to go and give a charge, a, a prophecy, God's word over them to encourage them and challenge them in this call that they are receiving. And so this is the encouragement for Timothy. You've been given a gift and it's come to you as a gift from God. And we're told that God's word over you came when you were being ordained to ministry. And so what that looked like was the other elders would gather around a leader and place their hands on that leader. And it was a symbol of God's hand on that leader. It was a symbol of the leaders extending their leadership to this now called person, right? And so the laying of hands over Timothy was to commission him for ministry, And so we've got this gift, we've got this source that it comes from God, and we have this confirmation from the church. And so when the church receives its elders, 
Those elders are commissioned. They are ordained by the church. Now, when I was ordained, I had that very thing. I, I was examined, right? And said, okay, there, there's a gift here. We've examined that that gift is from God. And then I was commissioned. The other pastors in our presbytery came and laid hands on me and prayed over me to ordain me to that call. Now, if you read uh, the letter that Matt mentioned uh, that we sent out yesterday, if you haven't read it, it's on the back table there. Definitely get a copy. But we are super close to ordaining our own elders here at New Creation, which is super exciting. So that's going to be Matt Horde, Kendall Lloyd. Yeah, we can clap for that. Yeah. Kendall Lloyd and Jack Kenyon. So, yeah. And so these guys have been going through a period of training for the last year and a half. And so the next steps for them is that uh, they will be examined by our presbytery. And when we become a particular church, if you want to know more what that is, you can read that letter. But when we become our own locally governing body, then you will vote them in. They will be ordained to be your leaders. And so what we see here is that um, leadership in the church is not to be self-appointed, right? It's to be uh, recognition of gifting, recognition of God as the source of that gifting, and then affirmed by the church. That is the order in which Paul lays out for us. All right, so we've got, uh, as we've talked through these, these ways to become more like Jesus, right, in speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. Uh, the way we do it is that um, we, ex we encounter God. We experience Jesus, and that transforms us. We see it then in the leadership as they're called and ordained. And then the third thing that we see, uh, let's take a look at verse 15. And it's this, that this is all a journey. 1 Timothy 4, 15. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. So when I graduated high school, I began studying with a really famous pianist. And I had to uh, audition for him. And when I auditioned, he asked me to play several things. This is a picture from my audition. No, it's not, actually. But OK, so I had to play several things for him, right? And so he asked me to, to play some music, play a classical piece, did that. OK, play a jazz piece, did that. And then he said, OK. Uh, show me D flat major and four octaves. And I went, I haven't done that for a while. And so I kind of fumbled through fingerings. Then he asked for some other scales and I fumbled through those. And it became evident to me that all my teachers kind of leading up to that point were not great teachers. They were lovely people, but not great teachers. And so they didn't have me practicing the right things in the right ways. And so 
uh, the guy that I studied with, he was the first really good teacher because he showed me both what to practice and how to practice. And that is exactly what Paul is doing here for Timothy and for us. He's showing us what to practice and how to practice. And so what to practice, we've already heard it. Work on your speech, work on your conduct, your love, your faith, your purity. How are you going to practice those things? Not by just trying harder. See, when I was practicing piano before I had that first good teacher to learn a piece, I would just start beginning to end, beginning to end. Just try harder, try harder. That is a horrible, horrible way to practice, right? So it wasn't until college when I learned to practice correctly. Oh, you have to master little sections at a time. And then you master the next little section. And then you put those sections together, right? Eliza's nodding her head, yes, because she takes piano lessons. She knows, see, you're way better off than I was because I didn't even learn that. I just, just play through the piece a gazillion times and get super frustrated, right? But you gotta practice right. And so Paul is telling us how to practice right. Don't just try harder. Rather, encounter Jesus in his gathered people as you read scripture publicly, as you receive the exhortations from the scriptures, as you learn the doctrines of the faith, learning who God is and what he is like. If you practice the right things in the right way, then you will see progress, right? So the uh, $5 word for progress, theological word is sanctification, right? You become sanctified. You become more and more like Jesus. And so it means that if we're to experience progress, then it means we haven't arrived. Thank goodness. How freeing is that? We are pilgrims on a journey toward Jesus. And so godly leadership doesn't mean perfection. It means growth. And even Paul admits that he's not arrived. Let's take a look at Philippians 3.12. He says there, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Why? Because he encountered Jesus. Because Jesus Christ has made me his own. All right, so even the Apostle Paul says, hey, this is a journey. Progress, right? We're, we're, we're changing. We, we don't start arrived, right? And so the people you lead in whatever your calling is must not only see who you are, but who you are becoming. And that means you have to keep watch on yourself and the teaching. It's what the first part of 16 tells us. Let's jump to that one. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching, okay? So uh, one commentator that I read had a, had a great line. He says, the order of Timothy's call is crucial. First life, then doctrine. Timothy cannot defend the Christian faith until he lives the Christian life. And that's not just for Timothy, that is for each one of us. We must be concerned with life and doctrine, with orthopraxy and orthodoxy. 
And verse 16 tells us this. We'll go to the rest of 16 there. Persist in this. For by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. All right, so this maybe sounds like a little bit of an odd verse. So if you do this, you'll save yourself and your hearers. Is Paul saying that we have the power to save ourselves or anyone else? No, he is not saying that. And that's why it's important always to look at the scope of Scripture. What does Scripture teach as a whole? And then we can come back and get a little bit of a handle on this. So let's go to a couple other verses here. Uh, a couple of my favorites, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Paul says, the same author, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. You can't do it. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Let's look at the next one, Philippians 1, 6. Paul says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, who, who began it? God began it, right? Not you. God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He's the one that finishes the process, right? At the day of Jesus Christ. Can we save ourselves? No. Can we save anyone else? No. So what is Paul talking about here? He's saying this, that perseverance is not the cause of salvation. It is the evidence of salvation. Right? Philippians 2.12. Let's take a look at that one. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, here we go, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and work for his good. And so this working out of our salvation is persevering. It's moving forward. It's progressing. How will God then save Timothy's hearers? Through the preaching of God's word. Let's take a look at one more verse. Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So what Paul is saying is this that God uses us as a vehicle to deliver his transforming good news. And so once again, the goal is mission. The reason that we practice these things, that we keep an eye on our lives and doctrine, is not so that we can look at the mirror, look in the mirror and say, oh, looking good, right? Aren't you something? That's not why we do it. The reason that uh, we should take such care in selecting our church leaders, it's not so that, hey, things are running smooth here, right? We got the right guys in place. Good process. That's not why we do those things. The reason we do all these things is this, so that those who do not know Jesus will encounter him and be saved, period. That is our goal. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your word, for your exhortation, for your teaching. 
for it is the only way that we can be transformed. It is the way that we encounter the living Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that you would persevere us, that you would be at work in us to do your will for your good pleasure. Lord, help us to keep our eye on the goal of extending your kingdom, that those who do not know you would come to know you, that they would encounter Jesus Christ who died, was resurrected and ascended to heaven and now rules at the right hand of God, the living Christ, that we would encounter him. And so, Lord, help us to work out each Sunday to come to our spiritual gym here and practice all these things together. Rehearse these things so that we can live them out as we leave. Help us to keep a close look on our lives and our doctrine for the sake of others, for the sake of your kingdom. And so, Lord, we ask it in the mighty name of Jesus, by the dynamic, transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this sermon and encourage you to become a regular member of our online community. To find out more about the church, visit our website at newcreationla.com.